welcome back to the Planet Jesus podcast, the show for skeptics and Christians who want to learn more about the Bible and understand better how to interpret and apply it. This is episode 19, Worship Leads to Living. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman Christians, he challenges them to think about their role in society. Throughout time, these questions have always been relevant to Christians. Who do we know that deserves our wrath, but instead receives our graciousness? How do we use our God-given gifts? How should we react to the world around us? In other words, who is our neighbor's best neighbor? Now, Rob Massey. All right, I didn't know exactly how to do tonight because I want to read from a different version, but it will be a little clunky if I do it at the beginning. And so what I thought I'd do is we would just look at some verses here in Romans, the 12th chapter. And then when I'm done, I will read what I think is one of the best translations of this chapter that I've ever read. Uh, And it summarizes it and makes it very clear. What I'm about to do is try to make clear what sometimes doesn't just immediately jump off the page. Paul has been talking for 11 chapters by the time we get to this point in Romans. And during those 11 chapters, he has talked about how God took decisive action to address the sin problem, both in Israel and throughout the world. And so we've been looking at, in our couple weeks ago, we were looking at Titus about the good Cretans and the bad Cretans. So the good Cretans were people who were once bad Cretans, but God had been renewing them and making them the kind of people that they needed to be. And then we looked at last week, in that Titus passage, it was just saying, this is the types of behaviors that this new creation are to exemplify. And then we saw the same thing over in Philippians. Here Paul can't be there with them. He's in prison and he's writing to them and encouraging them not to allow the persecution of the time and their enemies to get their minds off of what is important. And that is the character and the new behaviors of sacrificial love that are introduced by the new creation and what God did through Jesus. So looking at all those things, last week we saw that the Philippian Christians were to be sort of like the Roman uh, legion that was granted lands in Philippi after the Roman armies conquered it. They were granted all these lands and they were saying, yes, we're not in Rome, we're, we're here in northern Greece, but we are going to act as good Romans, and we're going to live and govern like good Romans. And the same thing holds true with the kingdom of God. That's why in Philippians he says, our citizenship is in heaven, although all the action and all the work we do is here on earth. And that's why it's so important that our behaviors and our character are publicly seen. We don't have private faiths. We don't have that luxury to live privately. We have to live our faith out loud. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with here in Romans 12 again. So God has been dealing with the sin problem since the first chapter of Romans. He's been looking at it both in Jews and Gentile, and he concluded that everybody needed God to come on the scene for them and take action. And that action was taken through Jesus when he died on the cross. And then he sent his spirit, and now spirit-empowered people are to live a different kind of life. 
And now this is where the rubber meets the road. He now explains what these new creation people, these people that are part of a new age, how they are to live here now in this earth. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The key here is that Paul's leading off how to live the life that he has just said is now available to us through the gospel. He's saying, in order to live that kind of life, there is an energizing force. And that energizing force comes to us through worship. When we worship God, instead of a high priest and depending on priests to go in and do all of your work for you, God has now empowered every individual to go in and present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and true, which is your spiritual worship. Now, those of you who are reading the King James have a slightly better translation this. I think they're both important. The spiritual worship and then reasonable service is what the King James says. That reasonable is addressing the mind. It is reasonable spiritual worship. Reasoned worship is what we're called to. And that rational, reasonable worship does something to the mind. As we worship God, something happens to our mind. Look at what he says. Do not be conformed to this world or this present age or the world that exists in the natural, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, God is calling us to discernment. He doesn't call us to be, you know, lame thinkers or just oh, you know, I believe, big faith. I would, I would rather have somebody bring doubt into the situation than just bring blind faith. Doubt, reasonable doubt is way better than blind faith. And God is not calling us. As we covered a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, we saw that the disciples themselves who had heard Jesus say, all of these things and lived his life and watched him die, they could not believe. Even when they saw him appear before him, they were in total disbelief of what they were seeing. And although Jesus did upbraid them for their unbelief, he did not stop them from testing out their theories to discern whether he was what he was. Was he physical? Did he have the holes of the one that they had seen before? So God is not calling us to blind faith. But we don't want to be ignorant, stupid, undiscerning Christians. We want to be reasoned, rational Christians, not just blindly saying, well, bless God, in 2020, this word means such and such, and then apply it as if it's true. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think, you notice all the mind stuff that's going on, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. See, God is, gives us a measure of faith. We're going to see it here. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, God has given us parameters to live in. He's given us gifts. And those gifts, we are allowed to explore the height and depth and breadth of those gifts. But those gifts are have a ceiling to them. We're not to think 
because of potentially the giftings that God has given us, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, recognizing that it's God's grace and that he has measured out to us something. And that's all we have to really boast in is the gifts of God, not our own personal achievements. The idea of this measure of faith that God has assigned is in this new creation. He's not just sending us into the world to model this new creation life to the people around us, to model it without giving us any power. What he does is the ministries that will come from these communities of faith around the world that Paul was preaching to, those in Rome, Philippi, Ephesus, Antioch, all of these cities that Paul was traveling and that we travel today, we are to take into those cities and watch in those communities of faith as the giftings begin to emerge by the presence and power and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Fourth verse, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So you notice how what he's saying there. He says, we don't all have the same gift. And it's important. If we test out a gift, God has assigned us a gift. We don't know. Sometimes people will want to be a preacher and they don't know how to preach. Well, they should stop. They want to be a singer. And it's like, you know, God gave me this song. And then, you know, most people feel after they're done, <laughs> give it back. Uh, but the... The idea is, is that not everybody is gifted, and you don't have to be the best singer, be able to pull down the presence of God, and you don't need to be the best uh, speaker, orator, in order to deliver a thought that impacts people's life. That's not the point I'm making, but I will say, test your gifts, find out, be working, be active, and then you'll find the groove that you feel confident that God has gifted you in that specific area. And then because of the diversity of gifts, that makes the body of Christ, the community of faith, a well-rounded group of people. They're well-rounded because it's not one guy does the whole thing. It's a bunch of guys and gals working together to see the kingdom of God flourish, and they each bring their part. And they don't try to stymie the other part. I mean, if my heart decided to say to, to the lungs, hey man, I think I got this thing, it wouldn't take very long for it to realize, uh, no, no, I don't. Or the brain say to the rest of the body, I think I, I think I got it from here. Sixth verse, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. See, let, let's start to put them into use. Let's let these things be seen. If prophecy in the proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Notice how these gifts are to operate within the church. It's not like begrudgingly. It's like, oh, God, I gotta do this thing because they're having this. If it starts to feel that way, it may not be a gift from God. It may be a duty or a work that you think is what God is wanting you to do, you really don't feel it though. Man, start to, start to ask the Lord, Lord, am I, am I to put my energies in a, to this? Maybe there are other people within the church, you've been doing a job potentially in the church, and there might be other people that are gifted to do that, but they don't feel to do it because you're doing it, and you're sitting there and you hate it. It's the Abilene Paradox. 
look it up. But people think that they want they want to do something, but they never ask the question, and really everybody's just miserable. Okay, don't do that. Everything that we do, everything that we do is energized by the Spirit through zeal, it's cheerfulness. You notice how the, the energy just jumps off the page when we start talking about the gifts that God has given us? Now, let's look at how all of that gifting, all of that inspiration, everything, what is it for? This is like your practical guide to how to be a good neighbor, work within the community of faith, and work with those people in the public and those people in public that hate your guts. So this pretty much covers it all. How should we relate to those within and without the community of faith? He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That means live like you're, you're your brother. How do you feel about your brother or your sister? Now, those of you who hate your brother and sister don't answer. But the natural thing is for you to love your brother. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, what would this world look like if we outdid each other? Just that was how we wanted to outdo. The competition, the church is so rotten with competition. Every church, it doesn't matter where you go, there's that seed of competition, whether where my kids go to school, what my kids wear, where I go, you know, if do I birth, do home birth, homeschool, you know, Julie and I have been homier than now. We've been, we've run the gamut. Now we're pagans. We're all over the map, but we got to be careful. We, we want to outdo each other in all of that kind of garbage. And what we really ought to be outdoing ourselves on, outdoing one another is in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We should have a, a constant energy that goes out into the world, that is praying for our neighbors, praying for our enemies, praying for our children, those that we love, praying for our nation and our leaders. That's how we end up honoring them. You know, we were talking two weeks ago on Titus about honoring and, and being obedient to the magistrates and those that were in, in authority. And the way that that starts is by praying for them. It's very hard to curse somebody that you're praying for. Really very, very difficult uh, to curse them. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, I'm going to read something. You know, why, you know why Paul is saying this is because this is not what the typical Jewish approach was to their enemies. This is the typical Jewish approach. It's over here in 2 Maccabees, which Paul understood these stories very well. 2 Maccabees, 12th chapter. The entire, the middle documents, the Jewish historical documents, are ripe and replete with all of these, these types of stories. He's talking about how an agreement had come to some community folks in Joppa and Jews within Joppa that they would get along. And the magistrates set it all up and said, hey guys, get together. I mean, this is in really rough times. There's a lot of battles going on in that area between, you know, Greeks and the rise of the Romans. And all. you've got all of these people and switches over in power. And here this buffer state, Israel, is just getting bludgeoned. So here in 2 Maccabees, the 12th chapter, this agreement has come about. And he says, they wanted to live peaceably with them. But it says that the governor of Cyprus wouldn't let them live quietly and in peace. And the people of Joppa did so ungodly a deed. 
The deed that they did is they said, hey, friends, let's go on a little boating trip. We, you know, we're good sailors. We know you Jews don't like sailors, but man, it's so relaxing out there in the sea. And they took them out a few miles and then dropped them over and drowned them all. So, of course, that was a bad thing. I mean, that's a dis- disturbing thing. So they, they accepted this invitation. They went to live peaceably with them. They, wa- they didn't want to say no right after this agreement. They wanted to live peaceably with them. But instead, they killed them and drowned them in the sea. At least 200 men. And then when Judas heard about this, he's the hero, Judas Maccabeus. When Judas heard of the cruelty visited on his compatriots, he gave orders to his men and calling upon God, Dear God, give me power to take out my enemies. What did he do? He got his men. They went down to Joppa. They burned the ships, burned the docks, burned, and they just kept burning. And that is the mentality that Paul is dealing with among the Jewish folks and among the Gentiles. This was not uncommon. This quid quo pro, this vengeance, taking vengeance on people was a standard fare for these cultures. But what does he say here? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Notice the same language that's used here. Live in harmony. And then he's saying over here, we wanted to live peacefully in harmony, but they didn't want to. They wanted to treat us badly. And you know what? That's a fact of life. Not everybody's going to love you and me. And, and we do our best. And, and he says later on, 18th verse, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it doesn't depend on us. Sometimes we can't reconcile our failures of the past that might have led to the estrangement of me from somebody else. Man, don't you want to go back to everybody that looks the other way when you're walking towards them? Don't you want to go back to them and fix the problem, solve the problem? But sometimes that can never be done. But as much as lies within you, let's make the resolution and bless those that persecute you and bless and not curse. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You know, your, your social status is not going to be hurt by associating with the lowly. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God is all about elimination of status. He says, repay no one, never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What he's saying here is, because I mean, this sounds really good. It's like, okay, you're going to get yours someday. This is not a you just wait I'm going to sit here and seethe. I'm truly angry and hateful and revengeful of you. And you wait someday, God is going to pour out his vengeance on you. No, no, that's not what this is saying at all. And I'm going to prove it to you. Uh, He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we like, what? I like, I kind of like the sound of that. Burning coals on the head of my enemies. I love it. I mean, this is just delicious. Well, if you go to Psalm 140, you see an interesting Psalm of David. And it's a Psalm that David probably wrote when he was being pursued by Saul. 
and you know Saul was just angry at, with him for for no good reason. But listen, listen, look what David says. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits to rise no more. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. See, it sounds like David was, he, he was calling down, he was doing what Judas Maccabeus was doing, praying to God to burn up the people who were enemies. But, but look at this. What did David actually do when he was surrounded by his enemies? What did he actually do? When we look over here into 1 Samuel 24, notice how when David is surrounded by Saul, when Saul returned from following the Philistine, he said David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, and Saul took 3,000 chosen men and went and surrounded him in the rocks. And it says these men wanted to defend David, but afterward David arose Saul went into a cave and David just cut the little bit of the cloth off Saul's garment and Saul left. But Saul didn't know that David was right there and could have killed him, could have brought down fire, could have brought down the fiery knife right on his neck. But he doesn't do that. Afterwards, though, David comes out of the cave and he rose and he went out of the cave and he called Saul and he says, my Lord, my king, when you came in here, you know, I, I, I took mercy on you. I, I spared you. I've said to you, I wouldn't put my hand against my Lord. See, my father, this is the end of your robe that I just cut off. And when David had finished speaking these words in the 16th verse of 1 Samuel 24, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. So you see, David was putting down coals of fire. David was praying for coals of fire, probably in that cave. Psalm 140, he, he was so upset that, that Saul just continued to pursue him and treat him like an enemy. Yet instead, as he's praying, God, these that surround me, bring down fire on them. What does he actually do? He spares his life. That brings down fire and the weeping from Saul because of the of the suffering of conscience that Saul is now dealing with. He says, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Remember what he says over here, up above this section? He says, repay no one evil for evil. See, this is in Paul's mind. He's thinking of these thoughts about Saul and David. Do you have a Saul in your life? Maybe you caused the problem with Saul. Maybe Saul's a great guy, but you did something to mess that up. Just love. And you may not be able to fix that problem, but just love. And when we go into our communities, this is just a looping back to a public kind of way we demonstrate. All of these things, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep and living in harmony and associating with the lowly. You know what that's all about? It means when my neighbors have a funeral, when disaster strikes Nashville through a tornado, when somebody is rejoicing a wedding, we don't go, Pastor, is it okay to go? You know, I, I, I hear that they're good Baptists. Can I go down there and be with them and, and celebrate their wedding? Yeah, yeah, dadgum, go. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If it's a funeral, go. Be agents of grace in this world. Be the neighbors that God has called us to be. 
That's what these things will do. When we allow the Spirit of God and the gifts within us to manifest themselves outside of the community of faith, that's where people's lives are actually changed. That's where the demonstration of what the kingdom that is to come really looks like. We should be the first to mobilize, the first to feed, the first to respond, the first to love, the first to forgive. That's what God has called us to. Now I'm going to read you that whole section here in Tom Wright's, N.T. Wright's, The Kingdom New Testament. If you want to go out and get this, The Kingdom New Testament, a contemporary translation from a good Anglican brother, Tom Wright. And I just want you to read how well this reads. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. Through the grace which was given to me, I have this to say to each one of you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Rather, think soberly, in line with faith, the true standard which God has marked out for each of you. As in one body, we have many limbs and organs, you see, and all the parts have different functions. So we, many as we are, are one body in the Messiah, and individually we belong to one another. Well then, we have gifts that differ in accordance with the grace that has been given to us, and we must use them appropriately. If it is prophecy, we must prophesy according to the pattern of the faith. If it is serving, we must work out our serving. If teaching, at our teaching. If exhortation, at our exhortation. If giving, with generosity. If leading, with energy. If doing acts of kindness, with cheerfulness. Love must be real. Hate what is evil. Stick fast to what is good. Be truly affectionate to in showing love for one another. Compete with each other in giving mutual respect. Don't get tired of working hard. Be on fire with the Spirit. Work as slaves for the Lord. Celebrate your hope. Be patient in suffering. Give constant energy to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people. Make sure you're hospitable to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Don't curse them. Celebrate with those who are celebrating. Mourn with the mourners. Come to the same mind with one another. Don't give yourself airs, but associate with the humble. Don't get too clever for yourselves. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Think through what will seem good to everyone who is watching. If it's possible, as far as you can, live at peace with all people. Don't take revenge, my dear people, but allow God's anger room to work. The Bible says, after all, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. If you do this, you will pile up burning coals on his head. Don't let evil conquer you. Rather, conquer evil with good. That is a powerful testimony to the type of life that we ought to be living. Not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. We don't take vengeance where there's no vigilante justice. We are the best neighbors 
that our neighbors have. And they all love us, even when they don't go to church with us. And we don't make that a prerequisite to us blessing them and loving them and rejoicing with them. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We mourn with those that mourn. And we do not take account. Uh, I'll just give you one example in closing here. A couple weeks ago, I read a report that Muslims in India are being heavily persecuted by a new government that's in power. And that government is making it very hard for Muslims in India to operate and have faith and work. And I was concerned about it because my friends at work are Muslim Indians. Many of them are. And so I reached out to the closest friends, Adnan, and I asked him about it. And I'll tell you, it struck him that I would have that kind of care and concern for his family that is there and their religious faith. Our mourning with those that mourn do not have limits on where they believe, what their faith they have, what they've done. We have just unfettered, unbridled, spirit-led rejoicing and mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. We just pour that out. If you've still got shackles on your hands about where you can go and who you can go with and who you can rejoice with and who you can celebrate this life with, take those shackles off, throw them out. That is not, that's part of a bogus Christian experience that kind of got saddled into us over the last 2,000 years. Let's get rid of that. We still have to live a righteous and holy life, but we can do that in the midst of the people that we live with. Be the people that God has called you to be. He's empowering us, and we could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God bless you. In today's busy world, time is valuable, and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some time listening to the Planet Jesus podcast. The show notes for this and all episodes, as well as links to any source material, can be found at our website, planetjesus.net. Become a part of the conversation on Facebook, at Planet Jesus Podcast, and on Twitter, at Planet Jesus and the number two. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with a friend. We would also value your honest rating and review. If you'd like to help defer some of the costs, please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com slash planetjesus. The Planet Jesus Podcast is a production of Rob Massey, and edited by me, David L. White.